0: Attention, attention all personnel. It's Mashcast. Hello and welcome to Mashcast, the show that analyzes and celebrates episode by episode the greatest TV series of all time, MASH, which aired on CBS from 1972 to 1983. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, I'm your host General Robert "Iron Guts" Kelly, and joining us this week in the VIP tent is Chief Surgeon Chris Lewis. Hi Chris and welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Rob. It's great to be here. Thank you. It's an honor to be invited. I, I don't think I'm chief surgeon, though. I think Ange <laughs> should be chief surgeon. I, I'm not fit to mop the brow of chief surgeon Ange whilst he's operating. <laughs> yes, well, I mean, I,
0: anyone who is a medical professional gets that designation
1: Okay. Uh, here okay. on the
0: show. So, I mean, you explained to everybody what kind of, what kind of <laughs> doctor you are so people can understand what, who I'm talking
1: to here. Sure. Okay, so uh, if listeners haven't guessed, I'm in the UK, and I'm a, <laughs> I'm a GP. <laughs> Shock, I know. Uh, I'm a GP. Um, do you call GPs GPs in America? Is it family Basic, doctor? or family, a family doctor, or? doctor kind of okay. thing, yeah. Yeah, so, and I work in the west of the UK. Um, Rob, are you are you a fan of Hot Fuzz? I think I've heard you said that film is one of your favourites. I love that movie. Okay, I'm about 20 minutes away from where that was filmed. (gasps) (laughs) So that gives you an idea. It's pretty rural where I am. Um, And I work in our National Health Service, which, as you will know, is a pretty different kind of healthcare system to the States. A bit. So yeah, the NHS is uh, funded by general taxation. So that makes us the world's leading perpetrator of what I think some of your politicians like to call socialized medicine. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and we watch, just we think of it as just medicine. Um, so yeah, it's uh, I I uh, work in the community, and my job is to keep people healthy, and the government pay me to do it. So that probably makes me a communist. So yeah, in mash terms, I'm the Chinese. <laughs>
0: I <laughs> oh Lord, <laughs> we don't. Uh, yeah, the system we have over here is we obviously we could devote a whole separate podcast to. <laughs> Insane system that America has here in in terms of healthcare. So, but I mean, uh, I mean, what's it, what, what's it like? We don't want to get too far into this, but what's it like being a GP in the
1: time of, of a global pandemic? Uh, it's, it's been a challenging year, Rob, I think is what I would say. Uh, we, we changed our model very quickly uh, last year. So again, nearly a year ago. Previously, we would see face-to-face almost all of our patients. They would have an appointment, they would come in, they could bring in pretty much any kind of problem they want, and we would try and sort it out. And we have switched very much to telephone uh triaging and uh, trying to sort people out over the phone. Uh, we've adopted very rapidly uh, some uh, technologies to allow us to do video consultations, and we can, people can email photos of their rashes and other bits of their body which is a bit disturbing for my secretaries I have to say Uh, and um, yeah so we try and do as much as we can remotely sometimes we still have to bring people in Um, it has some benefits Uh, it really suits some patients Uh, very convenient uh, quite convenient for us at times Uh, but there's nothing quite the same as seeing people And I think for me the real benefit of being a family doctor is we're quite a small practice and I think I know most of my patients pretty well. We know their families and we know what their situations are. And we miss that contact. You know, mm-hmm. we miss seeing them. And for a lot of our patients who are elderly, we might often be the only contact they have all week with another another person. So... it's it's got some benefits, but it's definitely got some downsides. And, uh, you know, hopefully as we immunise more of our population and we start to return to something like normal, uh, maybe we'll we'll adopt some of the better things, uh, but bring back some of the old stuff that we really like doing because it's good to have continuity of care for our patients. It's good to see them. Uh, It's good to um, often be the the one kind of uh, medical professional they have, consistently all the way through through their medical journey so yeah be nice to get back to something like normal
0: that's uh, we are looking forward to that and and uh, again thank you for you know you're you're on the front lines there pal so thank you so much for (laughs) for doing what you're doing i mean we would all be doomed without uh the medical professionals out there putting their lives on the line during all this so again thank you and i'm so thrilled to finally have you on the show we've been talking for a long time about mash and so i'm just great to finally have you here so we're here to talk about season four episode five hey doc uh originally aired on
1: october 10th 1975 but before we talked about the show i gotta ask you chris like what's your history with mash the series uh can i just say before we do that rob that was my fourth birthday when it first aired (laughs) Oh, <laughs> I didn't realize until we looked into it. I went, oh, I was for that bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So so MASH in the UK was, it, it wasn't as easy to watch as it seems it was for some of your American hosts. Uh, you know, when you listen to the show and they, it seems like every 20 minutes, there's another episode showing somewhere. <laughs> That's um, true. And over here, it was, Uh, much more difficult to get hold of so I did look it up and MASH was first shown on the BBC in 1973 so I was not yet two Um, and the BBC have digitized their listings magazine so I can tell you exactly when it was shown and what how they advertised it to the British public and they said it was a new comedy feature sorry I'll start that again a new comedy film series recreating the successful feature film starring two young surgeons who work in a mobile army surgical hospital and are intensely dedicated to off-duty relaxation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite sure that really nails it, but it's not far off. So I didn't see it until it was rerun, and it started being rerun in 1984 when I was about 13, and I really vividly remember watching it. It was about sort of 8:30, 9 o'clock at night, and so it would have been something I would have watched after doing my homework. And I, I remember watching it pretty regularly. It was kind of one of my things that I watched, and. I don't know if I saw the very first episode, but I certainly remember episodes with Trapper and then the transition to BJ and Winchester coming in. So, around that time, I would have been making decisions about my education, uh, what subjects I was going to study at O-level, and at 13, doing medicine really wasn't on the cards. But by the time I got to 16 and 17 and making sort of further choices, it really was. So... I'm not going to tell you that Mash made me into a doctor, but I will say that it was a time when I was making some decisions that would be very important about my education, and Mash was definitely on my radar. Pardon intended. Yeah, planned um, intended. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the doctors on the show, yeah, they're flawed and they're human, but they're pretty inspirational. Really, they're kind and they're compassionate and they're technically competent, not frank. Right. Um, right. And you know, there are there are there are worse role models to have, and. So since then, it hasn't really been shown, I don't think, on terrestrial TV. So kind of the second phase of my enthusiasm for MASH has really come through the show and picking up DVDs and watching again. And I think Ange said it's interesting to watch it with some uh, professional knowledge and experience. And and by and large, I think their medicine's not bad at all, actually. Um, But I really like enjoying rewatching it and rediscovering it. And what I like most about it is it's just really funny. I love the kind of quick, quippy, fast-witted wordplay humor. And MASH is just full of it. So, um, yeah, I really love that that aspect of it.
0: Let me ask you something about British television, because I don't really fully understand how it works. Yeah. And I know that, that you guys have your you know, BBC One, BBC Two, you have yeah. your networks. But those are showing... British programming. So like what channels are showing American? Is there like, is it like a separate channel that devotes itself to American programming? Is it a mix? Uh, I mean, you guys didn't get every American television show. I imagine you only got a few of like the bigger shows. Is that how it works?
1: Show. Yeah, so I think there's always been a history of imports. Um, so, like I say, you know, uh, May 1973, Mass was being shown. Now, it was being shown quite late on a Sunday night. I think it was about 10 p.m. So <laughs> it wasn't exactly a hitting a prime time slot. But there's always been a mixture of shows. I think now the, the TV environment's changed quite a lot. And so you will find... Uh, uh, on our kind of uh, satellite and uh, tv channels that there are channels dedicated to showing imports so mash at the moment is being shown on something called the sony channel which is presumably just there to monetize their back catalog and their <laughs> library uh and it's on at about three in the morning um so yes there's definitely those kind of channels i think uh uh, there's always been a history of co-productions. So, you know, you might have um, certain documentaries and things made between the BBC and, uh, you know, uh, National Geographic or something like that. Uh, there's a, there's a, a, well, a long-running science strand on the BBC called Horizon, which I think was made with one of the channels out of Boston. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's always been a bit of a mix. I think probably the mixture has shifted more towards... British shows on the main channels and imports more on the the, the sort of smaller satellite channels now. Gosh. But I could be wrong.
0: Because that's how it worked here. I mean, British television, when it aired here, it aired on our PBS stations, which was the public broadcasting. Yeah. Uh, they, were, they did not air on a network. It was like CBS would not air, are you being served, you know, at 8.30 on a <laughs> Tuesday night. They would, you know, the, the, the networks had their own programming. So, okay, I was always wondered about that. Okay. So,
1: the On time- behalf of the nation, can I apologise for are you being served? <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: it was just a, just a show that I pulled out of <laughs> pulled out of the air. I was like, what's a British show that aired? Okay, it, are you
1: being served? It was it was a. Comedy of a certain era, let's put it okay. that way. All right, I, I don't enough. think you could get away with a lot of the gags these days.
0: Gotcha. So <laughs> by the time you got to medical school and you started you know, being around people that were pursuing this career, was anyone else a fan of this show? Were any other people, like, aware? Like, were they fans of it? Would they know
1: what it was? That's a good question. Do you know what? I honestly don't know, Rob. I mean, by that stage, it would have been off TV, I think, largely. So it, it wasn't something that was perhaps in the kind of current – Mindset. Um, right. That was that was the early '90s when I was in sure, medical school. Right. So medical friends school, right. would have been the sitcom of the day, you know. <laughs> uh, uh, which, yeah, I'm not going to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't I, I don't recall how, sitting down and having in-depth conversations about MASH with other medical students but I guess you know we were all pretty much the same age I you know it was around when we were a bit younger and who knows maybe there would have been some who were who were inspired I I uh sent you something from the uh British Medical Journal yeah that's what I was thinking about yeah. yeah who that was an Australian surgeon actually but they the 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 British Medical Journal is very well respected. It comes out every week, and I try and read it as often as I can. <clears throat> um, and their Christmas edition is much more lighthearted, and this year they did Fictional Doctors Who Inspired You. And, yeah, some very eminent Australian surgeon listed Hawkeye as a, a, a particular influence on his career and sort of inspiration to get into medicine, and I think, in his case, specifically surgery.
0: Yeah, that, that was really cool. I enjoyed reading that quite a bit. It, it warmed my heart to see someone, quote, Hawkeye as an inspiration. I thought that yeah. was to this day. That's that's just fantastic. So, all right. Well, that's that's marvelous. Again, thank you for for being here. And so, this episode that we're about to talk about has got a slightly more medical bent than some yeah. of the other ones of this season, which is great. It's perfect to, to time to have a doctor on to talk about it. But as I said, <laughs> it's a season four, episode five. Hey, Doc. Originally aired on Chris's birthday, nineteen seventy-five. It was written by Rick Middleman and directed by William jurgensen Uh, There's a late night poker game in the swamp involving Hawkeye, BJ, Radar, Father Mulcahy, Klinger, and Sergeant Kimball, played by Bruce Kirby, who ends up being the big winner. After the game breaks up, Kimball asks Hawkeye and BJ for a favor. Would they be willing to certify that he has an inner ear dysfunction, keeping him from going home on a plane, which would mean he's going home by boat? Why does he care? Well, Kimball is carting home, quote, a couple of thousand pounds worth of Korean and army stuff, just enough so he can open up a Korean cafe at home. Hawkeye and BJ are up for it, but Kimball's paperwork needs three doctor signatures and they assure him that the hopelessly honest Colonel Potter would never go along with it and it's not even worth considering Frank Burns. But they feel they have to try. So when they find their microscope has been stolen and Kimball says he might be able to score them a new one, Hawkeye and BJ ask Frank to sign the letter, trying to reason with him that if they fake Kimball's profile, the 477th will get a new microscope, which it dearly needs. Frank doesn't care and refuses to sign. This enrages Hawkeye, and it leads to an argument getting them nowhere. Meanwhile, a Colonel Griswold arrives in camp visiting his wounded troops. He's a gruff, tank-driving kind of guy, but he's vulnerable enough to ask Hawkeye for a medical favor. Could he help Griswold take care of a little social problem he picked up not mention it on his service record? Hawkeye agrees. Later, a sniper starts firing on the 477th, leaving Hawkeye and BJ holed up in Colonel Potter's office. Potter says a tank would help scare the sniper away, So Hawkeye calls Griswold, calling in his favor, asking him to borrow one of the tanks. Griswold arrives, leaving the tank behind. Frank, bothered by Margaret's romantic interest in Griswold, tries to act macho by climbing into the behemoth, insisting he knows how to drive it. He starts the tank, but quickly loses control and it veers wildly around the compound, smashing several tents and even Colonel Potter's jeep, which he solemnly shoots dead. Finally, he gets the tank to stop and Potter is furious. Hawkeye and BJ cover for Frank, saying that it was Frank who jumped in and stopped it. Potter doesn't really buy it, but it's enough of a lie that Frank feels guilted into signing Kimball's profile, assuring that the 4077th will get a new microscope. All right, Chris, uh, this is a really fun episode. We've been talking previously this season about, obviously, MASH had a lot of, uh, of uh, scene setting to do in the early episodes with bringing in new characters and then uh-huh. of course in the next very next episode they have the it happened one night which is a you know just one night in the 477 we could see these doctors performing their their duties this is a kind of fun episode because it's I see if you agree with this it's a little more um hawkeye and Trapperish in that it's hawkeye and bj kind of having to pull a scam now, of course, it's a scam for the right reasons, because they need a new microscope. But nevertheless, they're kind of fudging things to get what they need. And so that's, that, to me, makes it a really fun episode.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, the pace of this episode, how it jumps from one thing to the next to the next, there's no filler. You really crack on with the story. So moving from the poker game to the arrival of the snipers to... Uh, Potter on the phone to everything just moves really quickly and the the pace of the dialogue e- is equally fast. It's really snappy and there's lots of really quick one-liners. Um, yeah, I, I think this feels like they've been doing it for ages. You know, it feels like uh, the change in the cast really hasn't uh, affected how this works at all everybody feels very comfortable and what I really like actually I, we can talk about this is BJ's role because it feels like he's given a little bit more perhaps to do than Trapper does in some episodes yep. you know he's yep. trusted with snaring the microscope back uh and uh he's he's there's some really good repartee between him and, and Hawkeye after they confront Frank later on so yeah yes. I agree yes. I think it's uh, it's a really uh, enjoyable episode, and it just sparkles with wit. I think
0: you can answer this uh, to the extent you want to answer it, but I'm kind of curious. <laughs> I'm guessing this happens in real life that you have people asking doctors for kind of favors here and there about things. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's a lot of, "Hey, doc, could you do this?" Because I mean, Griswold, this 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 uh, general, uh, he's picked up a social disease, and he doesn't want that uh, in his record, and so he asks Hawkeye for a shot of penicillin, kind of on the sly. I'm guessing this is probably something that, that doctors have to deal with, right? Of regular people kind of coming up to them and saying, uh, you, can you do Can you do me a solid
1: or something? I assume that's why you asked me on, Rob. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I would have to say, particularly if my indemnity organisation is, is listening to this, uh, what the, all of these are, are about either falsifying or omitting or not keeping good medical records, all of which are professionally very serious misdemeanours. And, uh, you know, let's be quite clear about that. Um, I, I don't think it's quite to this extent. But, um, yeah, you know, if you mention you're a doctor, oh, let me tell you about my knee. <laughs> <laughs> Or worse. Um, yeah, I think there's a certain amount of this. And, and each of these uh, each of these sort of three moments where they go, hey, doc, hence mm-hmm. the title. Uh, yeah, there, there's a bureaucratic one, uh, which is uh, Kimball trying to get his pass on to go on the boat rather than the plane. There's um, the surgical one, which is... Um, Oh, gosh, I've forgotten his name. Chivers. Chivers, you uh, need see needs about to. about his, his, to his to toenail. To. Yeah. And then there's Griswold, who it's never spoken out loud, but, uh, you know, it's a sexually transmitted d- disease. And from the fact that you can treat it with a shot of penicillin, I think we can probably assume it's syphilis. He thinks he's got. So, <laughs> sorry, everybody. Enjoy your breakfast if you're listening. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so they, they, they come in sort of different flavors and actually... For general surgeons, these guys have got a really holistic practice. They don't just do surgery. They do all sorts of medical things. And I'm sure that's really for the plot. But, you know, they've done foot checks and they've done premarital checks and they do all sorts of things which would be well outside of the, the kind of normal remit of a general surgeon. And it, that feels much more like the kind of general practice, catch-all kind of work that I do. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, speaking, talking about favors, I mean, I found out a little while ago
0: that uh, in New Jersey, uh, I have 6 million people ahead of me before I get the vaccine. So I was kind of hoping you could get me, get me something <laughs> as, as, you know, for, for, for having you on the show, but we'll talk about that off air, Chris. I don't want to you
1: know, get you. Uh, we'll there. have to find a way to make you clinically extremely vulnerable, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: so yeah. Okay. So let's, let me talk about the actors a little bit, the guest actors here, the, uh Sergeant Kimball is played by the character actor Bruce Kirby, uh, the father of Bruno Kirby. Bruno Kirby uh, was in When How Met Sally, uh, was That's in right. City That's Slickers, right. uh, Good Morning Vietnam. Uh, Bruce Kirby just passed away a couple of weeks ago uh, at the age of 95. Uh, he actually outlived his son, which is a, it's a very sad thing mm. to, have to find. But Bruce Kirby had a long long career if you look him up on imdb hundreds of credits he was in the muppet movie stand by me throw mama from the train he was on tv shows like kojak and la law i mean just went on and on and on and he plays sergeant here. it's always so funny when you know it's kind of like uh if you ever watched uh, any hanna-barbera cartoons or actually any cartoons really of a certain stripe you look at the be- you know you see a background right and you see one element it looks colored differently than the rest of the background. You know that that's the piece that's going to move because that's the piece that needs to be animated. (laughs) You know? So it's like, so it's the same way with mash is that when you, when you see them playing a card game and it's all the regulars and one guy you've never seen before, you know that he's (laughs) going to be the guy that's driving the plot because otherwise they don't need Sergeant Kimball. You're like, who's They all seem to know Sergeant Kimball very well. And none of us have ever met this guy before. Um, he, now, he has this whole thing about uh, that he doesn't want to go home on a plane. He wants to go home on a boat. That is factually inaccurate because that is how they sent everybody home. They sent everybody home on boats. They didn't send you home on a plane. So mm-hmm. that part doesn't make any sense, but that doesn't matter. And it's the whole thing is that he's got a scam. And I love – it's one of the funny lo- funniest lines of where – I love that both Hawkeye and BJ immediately know the scam. <laughs> and that Kimball – Kimball has this BS stuff about – and he, you could tell that when he is diagnosing himself with his inner ear problem, that he just read it out of a book, and he's never heard yeah. it before because he says it wrong. He's like, he's like I got chronic otitis with eustachian <laughs> tube dysfunction. Like, he's, no, he's like he's practically saying it phonetically. And I love yeah. that both Hawkeye and Bj just start to laugh about to themselves, and they just know it's BS, and they immediately say. You know, your ears mean you can't fly, right? You like to get out of that plane and get into a big, big boat. And they're they're yeah. immediately on to his yeah. BS. I love it.
1: And he says something like, you guys are too smart to be officers or something. It's <laughs> <doesn't he?
0: laughs> great. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, and I also I love the bit where he says, like, how much stuff are you, uh, you know, how much are you are you sneaking home? And he goes, I figure – a couple of thousand pounds, and BJ goes a ton, and then and then Kimball goes that I said a couple of thousand pounds, and then, then and the Hawkeye says, yeah, that's your word for a couple of thousand pounds. Yeah. Like you know, no, it is, if it's two thousand pounds, that is
1: literally a ton, Kimball. I mean, that's yeah. literally
0: what it is. So,
1: and then he challenges and says that that's just personal effects and toiletries, right? You know, right. clearly, right. <laughs> clearly they're expecting one small bag, and he's going to have crates of this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that's great.
0: And I mean, uh, you know, he says he wants to open a Korean cafe back home and, you know, uh, not to, not to get too far down this road, but it, what we knew about America in the 1950s, uh, that probably wasn't the greatest idea in the world mm. because America was not super chill with that stuff. And if anything, that's actually a storyline that they would follow up on on Aftermath. Uh, where Klinger went home with soon Lee, and she encounters a lot of very horrible prejudice because she's Korean. Mm. Uh, And that's something that show that we'll talk about that at some point, many years from now, down on MASHCast. But uh, Kimball is Kimball's got his plan. You know, he's going to there's even a joke about the uh, the laundry that he's going to do. And he says, uh, you know, we're going to have Kimball's Korean cafe, three K's. And, uh, that's not a good idea to, you know, have three K's as your initials for your, for your uh, restaurant. Uh, And even Hawkeye even points it out. He says you can get their linen from the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, what do we do with the uh, the eye holes you can put the salt and pepper shakers on them You're like, okay uh,
1: so yeah I, re- I thought they they were remarkably relaxed about the fact that that would be those would be the initials actually <laughs> yeah, I think they realized that this is not really a
0: serious plan like it's not really gonna happen but anyway they, they go along with it they say okay Kimball we're gonna we're gonna try and do it for you uh, the next scene we have is a scene in the showers with Radar and Klinger and there's a couple of scenes throughout this episode with Radar and Klinger that don't have any connection to the, any of the other plots. And not in a, I don't mean this in a bad way, but they feel a little like filler. I think they yes. feel that like the show, when they wrote the script, came in a page or two short. And so they had yeah. to just get it to like 24 minutes. Yeah. And so they just gave Radar and Klinger a little extra something to do.
1: I'm glad you brought that up because I thought the relationship between uh, the, the two little scenes with, with those two characters is a little bit odd. In the shower. Uh, Radar is saying to Klinger, he refers to him as boy, and that felt really strange to me. It didn't feel like something that Radar would say at all. I almost wondered if the almost if the lines had been swapped over between the characters, but I don't know that Klinger would refer to Radar as boy either. It was it felt a bit strange and a bit weird.
0: Yeah, yeah. They have another scene later on where they're rehearsing yeah. a, a a play together, and it just it just. It just comes out of left field, yeah. and it does. It just yeah. feels like, and they probably looked at the script and realized, oh, we we need another you know page and a half. Oh, let's give Radar and Clinger a little something more to do because this is such a heavily doctor centric episode. So okay, that's great. So then we're back into we've, we hear the uh, there's a sniper. They bring in the introducing of the the sniper showing up. He's peppering away, and Colonel Potter gets oh, gets on the phone about it. And then we meet another one of our guest characters. This is Chivers, uh, the British soldier. He's played by. An actor named Ted Hamilton. He's got a lot of uh, British TV and American TV credits. He was on a show called a British show called Division Four. Are you familiar with
1: what that was? No, I have never okay.
0: heard of Division. Yeah, Four. he was a regular on Division Four, okay. whatever that was. He has appearances on The Six Million Dollar Man. He was on a show called Blue. He uh, cameoed, uh, guest appeared on a show called Blue Thunder here in America. He has no credits past a certain point. He's according to IMDb is still around, but he just hasn't been oh. in anything in a while. But he's very funny here. He's he looks a lot like um, Rod Taylor. From uh, yeah. the time machine, he has that. He's very. Yes. he's clearly been out in the sun a lot, and he's got. He's got. <laughs> you know. Uh, but uh, he's he's fun, and he. This is the second favor uh, that the doctors are going to have to go into because he talks about. Uh, and I love that it's it's a um, it's a blind, it's a double blind because he says you know, I have something that, uh, it's a little bit dicey and it would, uh, and he, I love he starts whispering where he's like, uh, yeah. it would be, uh, a little pump if it appeared to my service record. And he just yeah. kind of like trails off. And of course you think he's talking about some sort of social disease. Yeah. And then you find out, no, it's because he's got an ingrown toenail and that is something that the British army is very, takes very seriously. <laughs> can, can I add not to, I don't want to get too gross into this, but like, how can someone be blamed For getting an ingrown toenail? Like, how is that their fault?
1: Okay, this is another enjoy your breakfast moment, isn't it? Um, So uh, toenails grow from the base and they grow most at the sides. So if you cut your toenail down below the level of the soft fleshy tissue, a spur of toenail can grow up into the flesh and it can cause a lot of pressure and a lot of pain and swelling and it can get infected. So it's basically about how you cut your toenails properly. Yeah. That, boy, I'm so glad people tuned into this.
0: <laughs> boy, I mean, I have, I look, as many, for, for all the years I've been watching this episode, I have always wondered that. I'm like, why is it his fault
1: that he got Come that? Come for the and sitcom jokes, stay for the podiatry tips, yeah? That,
0: hey, this is why we have doctors on the show, Chris. This is why I want to learn these things. Okay, well, good. Now I know. Now I know that, that it, it is something that Shivers needed to maintain,
1: yeah. and he didn't. I mean, I don't know that that is a real thing. I don't know that the British Army are that super obsessional about foot care, if I'm honest. But it works here right. because it gives Fair them something to do, doesn't it? Right. It gives them another little um, task to do. And you're right about the innuendo because they keep it going. They say things like, after all the training films, yes. you went and got an ingrowing toenail <laughs> instead of waiting till you were married. And, mm-hmm. You know, they deal with these things in dodgy clinics in Cuba but we're clean. Yeah, they're, they're all, all of these gags that sort of make you think it's something much more risque than just a bad toenail.
0: Yeah now it's while they're examining uh, Chivers uh, we discover that the microphone the uh, excuse me the microscope has been stolen and it's very funny to me I love the visual gag is that the way we see that the microscope has been stolen <laughs> is that the shape of the base <laughs> Yeah, it's carved out in the dust on the table, and that's how we (laughs) still fill. So it's clearly no one has cleaned this table, even though this is a medical, you know, this is part of their medical room here is all this equipment. Clearly, it's pretty dusty because you can literally see the horseshoe shape microscope that is now missing. I love that detail.
1: I guess it's a real problem. You've got to show that something is absent (laughs) <laughs> you know, so you can't show it because the whole plot revolves around the fact that it's not there. But to show it, on it's not the OR, but it is their kind of pre-op kind of room. And it's all laid out with green cloths and they've got their little enameled uh, trays with their surgical instruments. And it's filthy. It's just about an inch thick in dust. Uh, yeah, not acceptable. I know it's war, but really. Somebody's going to come in and A clean bit it. of cleaning would not go amiss here.
0: Uh, so they get very upset about that, and Hawkeye has the line about uh, you know, somebody that would steal a hospital's microscope would steal Tiny Tim's crutch. I yeah. uh, like Chivers is very, uh, very uh, sort of just cool about it. He's like, "Yeah, this Stevie's getting out of hand." Last week I saw I lost two machine guns in a tea cosy. <laughs> <laughs> <I
1: guess>. yeah. <laughs> well, can I just say that the uh, the acting in this? There's one line which uh, Alan Alda has, and I wrote it down because it's so complicated, and I thought. Boy, if you put that in front of most actors, I think they turn white. Uh, and it's when he's talking about how much he owes them to do the, the operation. And the line is, according to the Pierce Honeycutt ingrown toenail <laughs> memorial clinic conversion table, one severe metatarsal paronychia will cost you exactly two bottles of scotch. Now, I know what all of those words mean, but boy, is that a line to deliver. <laughs>
0: I wonder how many takes it required Alan Alda to get that out, because that is that is a tongue twister.
1: Or even just opening the script.
0: <laughs> yep. I, that, see, now that's funny. That's a, that's something where, and I've mentioned this on other podcasts, where I was like, when I was a kid I, and Batman or somebody would use a term that I wasn't familiar with, I wanted to learn it because it yeah. was important. Batman knew about, what would Batman talk about? Modus operandi. That seems pretty important. I should find out what that means. Yeah. I was able to understand in context, what metatarsal paronychia – Did I say that right? Metatarsal paranechia. Very good. Metatarsal. I understood from the context of what he was saying that okay, yeah. metatarsal. And then I learned. Okay, that meant like like your fingers and toes, right? Is that what that means? It's the
1: the metatarsal is a bone in your toe.
0: Oh, it's just toes. Okay, so it's just like. But I understood that. Okay, these And then I like the idea of the conversion chart. That it's like it's a standardized (laughs) thing that they've set up. That it's like you need us to do this. This is what you got to pay. I (laughs) love. I I I I also like that that he gives himself.
1: He gives himself. I love they set themselves. I love that they've set themselves up in this clinic, which specializes purely in this one thing.
0: Yeah, that's, that's great. The, that's yeah. great. Yeah, like you said, and I love this. It's it's Pierce Honeycut that he gives himself billing <laughs> over Honeycut. he all of that. Of course. So, and then Potter <laughs> walks in, and uh, he takes he he sur- he surmises the situation in about five seconds, and he goes ingrown toenail, huh? And they're like pretty fast, Colonel. And he's like, "This is my third war." And he says, "I've seen more British toes than I have American fannies." <laughs> it's just great, great, great line. And I love that Potter is immediately in on the scam. Where he goes, "What's the going yeah. rate these yeah. days?" Like, <laughs> he's totally down on it. Great.
1: Well, it's his third war. He's probably seen the prices hike up over time. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That that was great. So then that introduces the third guest character. Potter comes in and he says, uh, we've got the general here. He wants to talk to you. And this is uh, Colonel Griswold, played by the actor Frank Marth. Frank Marth, again, a lot of TV credits. He was in the original 1979 Captain America TV movie. He had appearances on Battlestar Galactica, Canon. He's in the great T V movie Satan Schools for Girls. That's a fun movie. Wow, there's um, a title. Yeah, yeah. it's that's a fun movie. Uh <laughs> he passed away in, in twenty fourteen. And he is what you would expect to be a standard uh, you know, army general. He's got a cigar and he's chomping and he kinda talks like dish a little and you know, I mean I mean and um of course Margaret. Uh, making her uh, oh. first appearance uh, in a in the since a, since a season since episode three of the series comes back in, and of course she is just in love with him. She is following him like a love-struck puppy, and she's like, "Oh, okay." Flirting like yeah, she Matt. is flirting, and yeah. Frank is Frank is pissed off. And one of the details <laughs> I love about when when General Gr- when Colonel Griswold comes to sit down, and he starts talking to his troop, and we see there's a pan out. And there's two troops uh, on either side of it. One is a guy completely covered in, in in plaster. He's got like a thing on his head, a thing on his arm. Yeah. And then there's another guy who just has a head bandage. And Colonel Griswold says, uh, great to see you again, Moretti. The uh, the unit's not the same without you. And then Margaret has to gently point out that he's talking to the wrong guy.
1: <laughs> In fairness, the, the right guy is completely mummified. There isn't a bit of his body which isn't covered in plaster. So in fairness, I think you can probably give him a pass on that. But it does suggest that maybe there are other things on his mind whilst he's here.
0: Yeah, I love when he says, uh, the unit's not the same without you. And it, <laughs> <clearly>. <laughs> <laughs> he's got that speech just down pat. He just says it when yeah. he has to. But I love when she's like, this is Private Mumford. This is Sergeant Moretti. And he's like, what? This is Sergeant Moretti. Oh, and then he just repeats the same bit. He just says it over again. Like, like the other guy didn't just hear it two seconds ago. That's great. Uh, and then said Hawkeye, you know, talks about that he's heading, he's heading home. Uh, there's even the Yonvi he says we had to use a, a bone in his shin to give him a jaw and, uh, and Frank says, "Oh, pretty simple stuff." And Hawkeye says, "Sometimes we use the jawbone of an ass." I need mean, so to give that look of to Frank. And then Margaret does the whole. It must be so amazing to be in one of those tanks, just smashing through everything in your path. And she is, she's glowing. She's she? just glowing. And Frank escorts her away, and he says, uh, "You know, Margaret, could you, uh, Major, you walk this way?" Which allows Hawkeye to deliver one of the great Groucho Marx lines: "If she could walk that way, she wouldn't need the talcum powder." So,
1: <laughs> boom, there you go. Uh, the, and that leads to our... The repartee here is so fast, isn't it? He's just on fire with all yeah. the quips. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that leads to our third
0: favor, where Griswold... I love the Griswold looks around before he asks mm-hmm. for it. He kind of just does, a, oh, okay. And then I love how quickly Hawkeye gets it. He says, Hawkeye, <laughs> uh, as long as I'm here. And Hawkeye just goes, mm-hmm. <laughs> he Come just walks in. in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Fantastic.
0: That's great. Um, so, and then that... Now, this... That whole sequence, by the way, uh, where he talks to Griswold about what's going on, is cut in syndication. I never saw those scenes until I got the DVDs. Where oh, he talks okay. about, yeah, he talks about that. Um, that normally, if Griswold had gone to one of the local doctors, uh, he would have had hair root, hair cream oil stuck in his butt uh, okay. as, a, as a fake cure. Now, Chris, when I want to ask you: as a doctor, like, is that dangerous to get like that shoved into your Posterior, Or does that, does your body just absorb it and it's not a big, I mean, it's obviously not going to cure the problem, but is that dangerous <laughs> by itself to get a shot of something that's not medicine?
1: Um, yeah, I guess it probably wouldn't do you very much good. I'm not completely familiar with exactly what's in the hair oil. Um, but yeah, I mean, sort of greasy things, uh, not only would it hurt and it would be quite a difficult injection to give. I can't imagine that sort of hair cream is particularly easy to inject. Right, it's pretty so it would viscous, hurt. Right? Yeah. yeah it would hurt. Um, And viscous things take longer to disperse in the body. So, um, yeah, so it would probably hurt for quite a long time. I'd have to find out what's in the hair oil. Is it an actual thing? Is it wild root hair oil? Wild root hair oil, yeah. Yeah. I guess it's a bit like not drinking Dettol and not inserting lights into your body as a cure for COVID. Let's say that as an example.
0: (laughs) Just as a... Just as a for instance, in case any don't, crazy person would ever say something like
1: that. Don't drink bleach. Okay. Don't drink bleach, everybody. Okay. Good
0: okay. good medical public, advice. Public
1: service announcement. Thank you. <laughs>
0: Appreciate that. We should make that as a, one of those posters.
1: Um, so, uh, so anyway,
0: then now we're, we're, we catch up with Sergeant Kimball and we find he clearly he's got his own tent. Uh, these sergeants always have their own tents in MASH. They always, what do we say with Kimball? Because the entire tent, palace. He's got, a yeah, palace. It's good- decked out with all oh, sorts wow. of stuff. And he's polishing
1: a, a samurai sword.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> in there. I <laughs> There's love it. gold plaques
1: on the wall. Yeah. I love that when BJ comes in, he offers him drinks. And they've just done a trade for two bottles of scotch. And the amount of booze that Kimball can get hold of is, you know, it's like going into a cocktail bar. (laughs) Put it all in a
0: doggy bag. I'll take it when I go. I love that. So then he makes the offer to Kimball. And he says, if you get us a microscope, we can get you the boat. We'll, We'll back it up to your tent. Uh, and then I love that Kimball's like, uh, you got me by the astutia tubes, don't you, Doc? And, Hawkeye, <laughs> and uh, B.J. just laughs. He says, I hope so. I hope so <laughs> it's <gotta> go okay. <laughs> by the way, is this thing, I mean, you, I don't know how much you know, but like, it seems like MASH always used the three doctors thing as a way to get them out of every jam. Wait, why, would, <laughs> why would three doctors need to sign off on something? Why would two doctors not be enough? Why? What, what's the magic number about three? I
1: don't think yeah plot I think is the just answer plot. to that okay, I mean right. and and there are no other doctors clearly on this entire base other than the four of them right that's right. all there is so you know <laughs> you, you couldn't possibly find anybody else you, that's always do you, think, like... you don't think Kimball could source another doctor from somewhere
0: yeah I mean could not go down to the 8063rd <laughs> or the 8055th yeah. I mean get one of those guys to do it for people. he's got access
1: so. to the jeeps he could just nip down the road I'm sure he, he got favors in every every mash unit around so I'm sure sure he could get another one but yeah let's 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 not let daylight in on magic
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. So then we're back to <laughs> we're back to Colonel Griswold getting the shot, and there's again a great physical comedy bit where Hawkeye's about to give him the shot, and he's like, uh, he's like, "Oh, that was very smooth. You're great." And he's like, "Oh, you're no problem." And then boom, and then he gets him. He's like, "Ooh!" And he's like, "That's smart." So, then, like, all right, ask you as a doctor, an injection
1: like, in the butt is one of the comedy staples, isn't it? Absolutely. It's never you not can't sunny. never miss yeah. it. Yeah, you can't
0: miss it. So, how long are you good at giving shots or have you, from
1: from your experience? Do people compliment <laughs> you on your shots. I've had a lot of practice recently, Rob. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I do actually. Yeah, and no, I get lots of nice old ladies saying they didn't feel a thing, so that's great. Is there a trick to it?
0: Because I've had people that are really good at it, and some people not so good at it. Is there some? Is there some way to get better at it, or is it
1: just um, you're just good at it or you're not? I'm not sure. I like the word trick. Training, I think is right, what. Sorry, I'd yeah. <laughs> um, I think yeah. It's. Um, I mean, I do. I do some. Uh, sort of minor procedures where we inject uh, not so much at the moment because of the pandemic but we if people have arthritis we inject into joints so knees and shoulders and elbows and things like that so I guess I do I do a fair bit of it um and I guess drawing up the the vaccines for COVID recently we've had a lot of practice very quickly um and some of the vaccines uh we've got uh the Pfizer vaccine. I'm not sure you're getting quite so much of that in the States, but it is fragile. It needs handling with kid gloves. You know, it's, uh, you can't shake it or tap the syringe or anything like that. You have to be very gentle with it. So yeah, so it's, I think we've all been a bit nervous about it and a bit um, wanting just to practice our technique. Um, But yeah, it's, uh, it's a skill like anything else, but um, yeah, you can, you can certainly, certainly train up on it. Gotcha. Okay,
0: because like I said I've had people when I've got blood work done. Some people are, you know, I don't even feel it, and mm. then other people, I'm like, "Ow, gee!" You know, so I was wondering about why that's <laughs> a thing that some people are good at and some people are not. So sure. uh, the uh, the sniper starts firing again. Colonel Griswold barely takes notice. He he kind of looks around as to why the doctors are running for cover, and he just goes, "Ah, civilians!" And he just drives off. Yeah. And doesn't even. He's worry highly about it.
1: dismissive of them. Yeah. Jumping he doesn't even have a helmet can. on.
0: Yeah, no. he doesn't even have a cap on. <laughs> he doesn't even bother. So that's the end. of That's the act break. Then we come back to Margaret's tent, and they are playing Gin. And this is kind of a charming moment where we see the two of them just being, like, you see how they enjoy each other. Uh, yeah. I've mentioned this on previous episodes. We didn't get a lot of this of Frank and Hot Lips uh, being just sort of genuine together and not not in, like, a sexual context. And it's kind of cute. We see why they get along. You do wonder what she sees in Frank because he's still such kind of a ninny. Uh, she beats yeah. him at cards, and he kind of gets upset. And then she kind of twists the knife a little bit, because Frank mentions, you really liked that tank commander, didn't you? And she kind of rolls her eyes and shifts her <laughs> shoulders, and, and yeah. she's like, I wouldn't say that. And she's completely <laughs> playing him. It's a great <laughs> bit of acting by Loretta Swift the way that's like she could really allay his fears yeah. by just saying, no, 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 no. But no, she kind of does a little, like, I wouldn't say that, Frank. And you're like, well, it's completely opposite of what you're saying. Your your body motions reveals what you really think about this guy.
1: She is completely in charge of this situation. Frank is a puppet on her string. And, yeah, she, totally. and actually, because of that, that sets up the whole final scene, really, doesn't it? Because yeah. that's where the seed is sown to Frank that tanks are a thing.
0: Tanks are a thing. Yeah, it's, She likes macho. <laughs> she likes, she likes big, big things with big guns. Yeah. So then there's a knock at the door. And I love that Frank immediately is like, they're trying to catch us to something. And Margaret's like, we're not doing anything. And Frank's like, oh, yeah, who'd have thought? You know, it's like they're just playing cards. It's not, not a big deal. So Hawkeye and uh, BJ come in and they try and they, they explain the scam. We can fake the medical profile. And and it's funny, Frank's kind of in on it because Frank mentions, he's like, oh, I examined Sergeant Kimball earlier and uh, he there's nothing wrong except a possible hernia from mailing home truck transmissions. <laughs> so even he kind of knows what's what, yeah, what's going on with law, Yeah. Uh, but he refuses to go along with it. He says, no. And uh, he kicks them out. And Hawkeye immediately, B.J. tries to talk some sense into Frank. And Frank isn't having it. And Hawkeye just immediately explodes. And, you know, he says, uh, we, we could use a microscope to examine your brain or your tiny little heart. And it just immediately, you know, uh, immediately goes bad. And they kick him out. And it leads to one of my favorite moments in this episode uh, is when they go out. Hawkeye and B.J. go out. And Hawkeye's is disgusted. B.J. disgusted. But B.J. actually chides Hawkeye a little bit. And he yeah. says antagonizing Frank didn't help at all. And I like that because B.J., of course, has not had to live with Frank Burns being a dick for yeah. so long. So B.J.'s yeah. a little more patient. And I, it's like I am I, on B.J.'s side in this because it's like, well, Hawkeye, you're, you're, you're missing the goal here. But at the same yeah. time, Hawkeye just had his fill of this guy. He's yeah. just, he just had his... I,
1: I love that. I wonder if it's a bit of a point of difference between Trapper as well, actually, because Trapper and BJ would have been completely outraged together, mm-hmm. whereas BJ is much more able to take a slightly more... Ta- or, in fact, he was encouraging Hawkeye to take a slightly more tactful approach, and you're <laughs> supposed to be cleverer than him, and of course that upsets Hawkeye even more.
0: A <laughs> houseplant is harder than he is.
1: Yeah. <laughs> BJ's perhaps slightly more diplomatic and, and can can work his way around or try might try to work his way around Frank a little bit more. Um, So yeah, it was, it was a good character moment.
0: I love that. He says Burns would prescribe a laxative for a brain tumor. Uh, And then he goes, (laughs) and then he goes, Dr. Burns. Like he's just so (laughs) hissed. And I I like, again, I love, I like when the show was as smooth as BJ transitioned into this series and as smooth as Potter did. I like when they remind you that these character relationships are a little imbalanced and that Mm. BJ just hasn't had his fill yet of Burns, but Hawkeye has, and we've seen it. We've seen three seasons of, of, Hawkeye having to deal with this guy. And he's just so disgusted that Burns doesn't care about having a microscope. It's like, you're a doctor. We need yeah. microscopes. What are you talking about, you idiot? You know, and I, yeah. I like that tension. I, DJ would eventually get there, but I love that yeah. in the early days, we still have that bit of like,
1: oh, okay, yeah. these guys see this a little different. Yeah, I wonder how much Frank actually uses the microscope. <laughs> he
0: probably just guesses. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah
1: exactly. Yeah, or somebody else will do it.
0: Yeah, right, <laughs> or somebody else has to do yeah. it. So then Shiver shows up with the uh, with the scotch. They go over the whole thing. They They continue the joke about... Your toes shouldn 't have anything yeah. to do with any other toes, no liquor for the toes, no spicy socks they They go on and on about the uh, the, the innuendo between the foot care and the uh, social the uh, social disease thing so then they get the two bottles of scotch Chivers takes off, and then the sniper uh, starts firing again, and it leads to get another mo- wonderful moment where Hawkeye drops the the bottles of scotch they they hide under a jeep, and we watch the uh, the bullets fly and we see they hit the first bottle and they're like, oh, and then it hits the second <laughs> bottle. And they're just they're, they're forgetting at the moment they're that they might be getting shot. They're just worried about the scotch. And it leads to one again, one of my favorite lines where the second bottle gets destroyed and Hawkeye pounds the dirt and frustration. They were only eight years yeah. old. Both yeah. of them. <laughs> so <laughs> upset. so yeah, upset. they
1: treat them like uh, casualties of war, don't they? <laughs>
0: such a great they're just so frustrated and then another great detail is that we see margaret looking out her tent at the uh she says, boy he's really peppering away out there and we see burns is cheating he cheats at the
1: friggin oh, card game that. We oh see i'm him gonna pick, have to he, go back and watch it now
0: he picks up the cards <laughs> he picks up cards on the table and looks at them and we see margaret catches him and you're like god even in this silly game
1: he's got to cheat <laughs> it's like, what is wrong with this under guy? fire under threat of his life, he's got to cheat at cards. Yeah. Like,
0: my God. You know what's wrong with this guy? So then the bottles get shot, and then they make their way into uh, Potter's office, which features another bunch of absolute – you mentioned how fast this yeah. episode goes. And this is just one great line after the next. I love, they run- I love that Radar's <laughs> got his helmet on. Potter's just sitting there working, and they run in. And, and he's, like, uh, he's like, what are you going to do about it? And Potter's like, well, I'm, I- I'm-, I'm working hard at my desk. And Radar is scared. And BJ's just like, that's all? And he's like, well, I can work twice as hard. Radar, can you be twice as scared? And Radar's like, no problem, sir. And like, yeah. I love Potter. <laughs> She's like, what do you want me to do about it? There's a sniper. I just, that whole run is, and it's a great Potter moment is that he's just like, look, he's been shot at a million times in his life. Yeah. This is not that big of a deal. Yeah.
1: And they are still so outraged about the bottles that they yeah. make him look outside him whilst look outside. the sniper's <laughs> going on. And he says, what am I looking at? And they say, toenail juice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then Potter just goes, well, the good die young. He's yeah. Kind of yes. like, all right, what are you going to do? I don't want to do about it. So then they finally, they realize, well, wait a minute. We can get a tank in here, which will scare, uh, scare the sniper away. Be- Potter refers to it like having a big dog in your yard. They get radar, he calls uh, Colonel Griswold, and then there's a bit of a blackmail here because Hawkeye says, well, you know, uh," because we we only hear Hawkeye's side of the phone call, of course, as we normally would, and we we have to do, like, a whole Bob Newhart thing where we can guess what the other side (laughs) of the conversation is, and we, you know, clearly Griswold blows Hawkeye off, and then Hawkeye finally has to play the blackmail card where he says, well, uh, I have all my private medical files. I might have to put them in the main file for safekeeping. And then there's this pause. Yes, sir. And he throws the phone back to Raider. So clearly Griswold has folded at that. Yes,
1: there's a there's a bit in between where he says I can I'll have to put them in the main medical files pause where everyone and his uncle can see them. (laughs) And that's that's the bit that kind of, oh, I could be I could be revealed here. I could be shown up to the world here. Now, would a doctor who was doing something on the sly, like
0: like Hawkeye did, have private medical files, or is that Hawkeye just making that up? Uh, I, I, I mean, if you're imagine. doing something that I... you're not supposed to be doing, why would you make a yeah. record of it?
1: Yeah, I mean, all all medical records should be confidential. Let me just again say that for my indemnity purposes. <laughs> uh, the, <laughs> so, so, but it wouldn't be unusual to keep a a main file and a private file. I mean, I guess. I I don't know. Again, we come back to the funding of it. I guess here the the army is paying for all of the medical care of its men, so it must have official medical files. I don't know that a doctor would be allowed to... Uh, practice private medicine on the army's time. Right. So yeah, I guess they wouldn't have any private files, but I think he's making the, you know, he's sort of saying, look, I haven't kept any record, any official records, but I have some private ones, which I might have to let slip into the the main medical record if you don't come and rescue us. So gotcha. I guess that's, that's kind of the plan. But- gotcha. Cause I mean,
0: it's like, I, I've wondered like, okay, so Hawkeye has given Colonel Griswold penicillin. That has to be that has to be marked somewhere that there is a dose of penicillin missing. Now, I imagine in in, in yeah. when when you're in an army camp in Weijanbu, Korea, uh, <laughs> there's going to be some some gray area there about supplies because yeah. stuff gets broken, stuff gets yeah. missing, stuff gets stolen. But I'm guessing that that like could a doctor? <laughs> uh,
1: I think Sergeant Kimball is a living, breathing gray. That, there you frankly, go, frankly,
0: Rob. Yeah. But it's like, <laughs> like I guess what I'm wondering is if if Hawkeye needs to give someone penicillin, does he have to like jot that down that i've taken a dose of penicillin or can he just go
1: and take it i mean they're like, gonna have that to keep would, track of this medicine right? that that would normally be the case that you would keep very good records i mean the other thing of course would be that you don't know because he doesn't know uh, Griswold from Adam, you know, he—he he, Griswold might have a terrible allergy to penicillin and um, right, that would right. be quite serious. That's true, yeah. So, yeah, again, for the purposes of the story and the humor, we're bending the truth here gotcha. a bit, so okay. uh, we'll, we'll, we'll not examine it too carefully.
0: Fair enough. Okay, so then uh, <laughs> Colonel Griswold arrives with a tank. I always feel that of course, you know, MASH was produced by 20th Century Fox. 20th Century Fox in the 70s was still putting out uh, dozens, if not hundreds of movies every year. Mm. So I'm sure they had lots of tanks on the back lot for their war epics. They were probably shooting a bridge too far or something at this point. So they could just, can we just borrow one of the tanks? Get that over from uh, from Richard Attenborough. Can we borrow <laughs> one of the tanks over here? And you, we just use it for a day. Okay, great. That's fine. So they bring the tank over and then Hawkeye tells Griswold that, uh, oh, all my medical files were, uh, were hit in the sniper fire burned to a cinder. And he basically says, all right, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to rat you out. And Griswold says, oh, you can keep it for a week. Like, okay, great. So that's fine. And uh, and then and uh, there's a weird kind of moment where Hawkeye says uh, Griswold thanks Hawkeye. And Potter's a little like, like, what's he thanking him for? And then Hawkeye says, oh, we're clearing up an old tank driver's complaint. Bloodshot hips. And Potter (laughs) just goes, what? And then they just move on and they have no idea what they're, what he's even talking about. Um, so then, uh, then we, then we give to, uh, we cut to the swamp and they're playing a card game. Sergeant Kimball is back playing the card game. And that is when we get the, the sort of big set piece of the episode where Frank is obviously so insecure about uh, Colonel Griswold that he decides to, and he mentions that, uh, he uh that he trained in a tank when he was at basic training which does not sound i, I mean we know frank's full of shit i can't mean,
1: believe that for a second <laughs> a
0: why would why would you allow an idiot like burns in a tank and b why would any doctor have to be in a tank why would they even yeah. do that
1: yeah what at what point does that become an essential part of medical training yeah the ability to drive a tank
0: <laughs> yeah, well, in case you need to blow something off like what are you talking about so yeah. He gets in the tank and of course it goes completely out of control. I mean, it just starts smashing everything. Even Margaret gets the sense that it is out of control. And Frank is being an idiot. He's even like, we see him inside the gun sight and he's going like, boom, boom. And it's like, my (laughs) God, this thing is, this thing could kill hundreds of people and he's playing with it like he's a kid. And it's yeah. just, like, yeah, he's just the worst. He's lost just, in the moment,
1: isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. So and he I completely carried away with the uh, the whole moment of it. Uh, you can Im- see in his head, you know, how impressed he thinks Mar- Margaret is going to be by this action.
0: Yeah. Oh, man. And so he destroys the girls' showers. Uh, Margaret has to get the girls out of there. We see her yell, girls, girls. And they're all running out in their towels. Then, uh, then we see uh, the the, uh, the tank approaches the swamp. I love that everybody kind of delays getting out of the swamp so they can pick up
1: their money. I think that's a great <laughs> detail. <laughs> and BJ kind of somersaults back he out does. of the tent. Does it's a crazy thing
0: Yeah, it's yeah. a great He grabs his hat and does a somersault out of the tent. Yeah. So this, the 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 swamp gets completely destroyed. And now uh, the next moment, there's a great little bit of character characterization here. Which would pay, play off, pay off in later episodes, we see Potter, who has clearly probably looked out his window and seeing what the hell is going on, he comes out in his cavalry hat, jumps into a jeep, and Margaret runs up and she yells, "Colonel, save us!" Yeah. and that was the first indication that Margaret really started looking to Colonel Potter as a father figure, and to me, it became one of the most charming bits of characterization over the next seven seasons that they would form that relationship. I love that she looks at him like he's a hero. I just love yeah. the colonel save us. I just think I, I I just think it's a wonderful little piece of of dialogue to give her.
1: Yeah. I mean she's always had a respect for the sort of authority of of rank, hasn't she? But yeah, yeah you're right. It's a it's a touching moment. It's very much a you know the the family of mash is sort of forming here, isn't yeah. it? Yeah.
0: I yeah. love it. And that would, would, would be another scene later on in uh, season five, and we'll get to it when we, when we get to it, that is, is, is again, underscores that. And I just love it. I think that's a great – I don't know whether that was a dynamic that the writers had always planned or they saw the natural affection that Loretta Swint mm-hmm. had for Harry Morgan and decided to write it in that way because we know that yeah. those two were really – were quite close on the show. And uh, I just love it. I think it's great. And it just goes by in a flash. I mean, it's easy to miss here. Uh, because the scene goes by so fast. So then Potter tries, uh, kind of <laughs> foolishly, to stop Burns, and that he parks his Jeep in front of the way, and he just says, stop, Burns, which is kind of silly, because obviously if Burns knew to how to stop, he would do it. The, uh, Frank runs his, uh, runs the tank over the Jeep, returning it, turning it into just rubble. It's just this pile. And we get this great character bit where yeah. Potter gets out his revolver <laughs> and shoots the Jeep dead as if it is a wounded horse. Put it out of its misery. Uh, puts it out of its misery. Now, that doesn't yeah. seem like the greatest move in the world because he's shooting into metal, so yeah. I would think the bullet could ricochet somewhere. But again, <laughs> it's a good gag. It's a great gag. It's a great. It's a great
1: character moment. Yeah, it's a good moment. Good moment. So then, finally, uh, this Frank, whole sequence is really well filmed. But it does feel quite different style of humor to the the rest of it. It's quite a slapsticky kind of end. Oh, very much. Whereas the rest of it's been very much the kind of Marx Brothers fast wordplay type stuff. This does feel very different sort of style of humor.
0: Oh, completely, completely. So then finally Burns parks the jeep and uh, he crawls out and you hear someone in the crowd go, let him have it! And everyone starts throwing stuff at him. You see a basketball (laughs) and there's like a towel and a bunch of stuff. They just start pelting him and he he slides back into the... uh, back into the tank. And then we get the button on the episode. And this is unusual. I was just saying earlier that this episode seemed like it maybe ran short, which is why the Radar and clinger stuff are in there. But this episode actually resolves its main plot in the button scene, which is unusual. Normally, MASH would resolve the main plot in the end of act two. And then the button scene before the end credits would be some sort of additional joke or kind of addressing of the plot. But it wouldn't actually wrap up the plot in yeah. this final break, but it does here because we see Burns, we see everybody uh, looking through the wreckage of the Jeep. And then we see Burns, uh, he's getting, a, I guess, a cup of water from Margaret, who is still sort of treating him like he's a baby. And then I love uh, Potter, you know, any excuse for that jackass display? <laughs> like he's very mad. And then, and then Hawkeye and BJ, of course, seize the moment, realizing, oh, wait a minute, we can play... You know, we can kind of play both sides here. And he says, somehow the tank got started. And the Frank jumped in, yeah. saved us all. And Burns goes along with it. Someone had to. And Potter just is like, uh-huh. And Potter knows. <laughs> he understands the scam. He gets the- it. He gets it, and then they realize, okay, Frank, you know, you got to sign the thing, and he signs it. And I love that Hawkeye helps Burn uh, spell his own name, B U R N S, Frank. Okay, thank <laughs> you very much. And then he signs the profile, and that is the end of the episode, which yeah. means we're gonna get our we're gonna get our microscope.
1: I really like how they they. I think it's a nice standalone scene because it just brings the two threads of the Griswold stuff and the Kimball stuff together, doesn't it? And yep. it's such nice. Uh, conclusion in that little standalone scene i think it's really masterfully done yeah
0: it's a very very funny show i mean again it's got yeah. some great medical stuff but it's a very very funny show now i do want to talk a little bit about the behind the scenes this was written by rick middleman this is his only mash credit which has always seems so strange to me because i think this is a terrific episode uh, mm. It's a shame that he didn't get another chance to come back. He had a long TV career. He wrote uh, on shows like The Odd Couple, The Gemini Man, That Girl, Gomer Pyle. He actually wrote for the show Rollout, which was the sort of uh, other mass show produced by Larry Gilbart and Gene Reynolds uh, set in World War II about the uh, African-American Army unit. So uh, I get the sense that maybe Rollout was sort of like the test for certain writers, and then if they acquitted themselves. Well, they got moved to, you know, they got a chance to do MASH. Uh, but again, he died in 2014. I don't know why this, again, it's, it's, it's a great episode. I don't know why this is his, his, his sole episode of MASH. And then I was curious because I mentioned this episode was directed by William Jurgensen. William Jurgensen was MASH's longtime cinematographer. He well, he shot uh, hundreds of episodes of MASH. Mm-hmm. He was their main cinematographer for the run of the show. And I wondered, well, wait a minute. If he directed this one, did he, did he do the cinematography as well? That would seem unusual. But no, he did not. Uh, this episode was shot by uh, Meredith Nicholson. And I was unfamiliar with Meredith Nicholson. And I imme- I initially got excited because I thought that was, this was a woman? Uh, that uh-huh. was uh, <laughs> very unusual. There weren't a lot yeah. of female cinematographers in the time. And I, I learned in researching that Meredith Nicholson was, in fact, a man, uh, okay. even though he was named Meredith, which... Particularly, typically you think is a female name. Uh, it is, in fact, a man. He had credits on Get Smart, Batman, Mork and Mindy, the amazing transparent man, beyond the time barrier. So he went back and forth between TV and movies and he had a very long career. But that's, he did a couple other matches. But I realized, yes, William Jurgensen was too busy directing uh, to be the yeah. cinematographer for this episode. But, again, great, you know, great job all around. This is an yeah. absolutely
1: wonderful episode. It's interesting you said that because I was just, I, I didn't know that and I was just thinking were there any particular shots which struck me as being sort of shot in a, unusual ways and I guess the immediate one was just that tank sequence. Right. But the other one is that really short scene with Potter on the phone and it shot very low down. It shot at the level of his nameplate on his yeah. desk mm-hmm. and that's a bit, I, that struck me as a bit unusual um, so maybe, maybe the cinematographer was coming out in the direction as well. I don't know.
0: Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, that is shot very much like uh, he's this it's like a general Patton kind of shot because he's very authoritarian and his name yes. Colonel Potter yeah. is right in the front so yeah, yeah it is a, it is a shot they wouldn't use on match very much so uh, so okay let's get to our favorite line here Chris did you have a favorite we went through a lot of great lines oh, in this boy. episode
1: do you have a particular favorite joke or line there are there are there are so many it's really hard to choose um the one the one I think I might use in my professional career is when um Hawkeye gives the shot of penicillin, and he, he hands the colonel a, a little card and he says, here's a list of do's and don'ts. You've already done the the, the most important don'ts. The rest is easy. So I might, <laughs> I might actually, I, I might crib that for, for work. But the, the one that I like, that's just such a stupid throwaway line, but it just makes me crack up, is right at the start, at the end of the poker game, and dawn is breaking and they're all coming out, they've been playing cards all night. And Mulcahy says can I interest anyone in a mass? And Hawkeye just goes, of what? It goes nowhere, but that's all it needs to do. And I think that's just a great line.
0: It is funny. Yeah. It's a massive of of what? Uh, yeah. My, my favorite line is a line I purposely did not quote to this point because I wanted to save it for this, for this uh, moment here. And it's where, uh, they beg, they ask radar to call Colonel Griswold for help. And, uh, he calls, we see him, he runs, he runs out of the office, comes back in immediately. And, uh, BJ even says, you're a model of efficiency because he was so far. And he's on the phone with somebody and he's asking for help. And then you hear, a bunch of shots get fired you know you hear like bang 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 yeah, yeah. bang and radar pulls his head down and then he yells he's like, he yells at the guy on the phone hey listen can you speak up somebody's trying to kill me I mean, it's just <laughs> love how much he just rolls with that he's just like a... <laughs> the way he, the fact that the, the person on the other end of the phone is like not acknowledging that this guy's getting shot at like <laughs> could we maybe move this a little a little faster i'm trying to get somebody's trying to kill me i just I love the way Gary Berghoff just says it, some sort of matter-of-fact way. It just makes me laugh. If you're in here. the
1: tank core, a few sniper shots is nothing.
0: I guess not. Oh, <laughs> man, it's just a marvelous episode. So, yeah,
1: I mean, this, you know, MASH,
0: MASH season four, I'm going to say this probably every episode, is I just think this is the best season of television, certainly their best season, and partly it's because they did some episodes that were big swings, the, you know, welcome to Korea or the late Captain Pierce or the interview where they really were busting the format and trying to do something very different. And I think they succeeded, but I also think importantly, MASH succeeded at the smaller episodes. And this is a small episode, this is just medical problems in the camp, and yet yeah. it's still really funny. Beautifully yeah. acted, really well done, so it 's like they went big and did it well, and they went small and did it well and that yeah. would, to me that 's what makes this series this season so good,
1: yeah, but you know what, Rob, even for a small episode you 've got an A plot and a B plot and a C plot, and they tie them all yeah. up so if that 's what you 're doing in a small episode <laughs> it's that
0: impressive. Is impressive, isn't it 's pretty yeah. impressive isn 't it that 's good stuff he so it 's an absolutely yeah. marvelous marvelous show, so wow, Chris, so I mean thank you. So much for coming on. I, we've been talking about you guesting on the show for a while, and I'm glad we finally got a chance to do it. It has just been a marvelous blast talking to you.
1: Oh, thanks, Rob. It's been a real pleasure and a real honor to be invited. So thank you so much for asking me. Oh, no problem. So why don't you tell people where they can find you out on the internet? Okay. So um, I uh, have a podcast, which is nothing to do with medicine. Or sitcoms, or, or comics, even. Uh, I guess the closest fire and water show that would cross over is Hero Points. Because for years, one thing I've enjoyed doing, don't have a lot of time for it, is creative writing. But I am um, uh, joined up to a, a, web, a website called Storium, which is kind of a cross between an online role playing game and a way to tell stories, share between writers. And a group of us have got together to come up with a podcast called Storyum Arc uh, uh, on. Uh, apple Podcasts and spotify and if that sounds like your sort of thing it would be great to have you to come and have a listen uh if you are interested rob i know you'll appreciate this i started a game called mystery in space inspired by all the char- the space characters on the who's who podcast and i am oh. writing ultra the multi-alien so oh. i know you would like that
0: yes <laughs> oh man you speak speaking my language man yeah. oh my god You're i'm not a, a man a of
1: Exquisite taste, right? Uh,
0: thank you. I'm not a role playing <laughs> guy, but if I had a chance to role play as Ultra the Multi-Alien, I would do it. I just <laughs> love that character. Oh, yeah, you say it right. Ultra the multi-alien. Alien. So yeah, that sounds fantastic. Well, again, everybody check that show out. Again, Chris, thank you so much for, for coming by. Thanks, Rob. All right, everybody. Of course, you want to follow the show, go to Twitter, Mash477Cast, or you can go to the website, Friendwaterpodcast.com, or you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Amazon Music. And then finally, if you want to support fire and water podcast network go to patreon.com slash fw podcast and there you can unlock various rewards one of which is to be name checked on a show of your choice so a big salute to nicholas prom russell burbridge stan peel dolph devries Britt Schramm, and mike thomas for their support of mashcast really do appreciate it so thanks everybody for listening we will see you next week but until then that is all mm-hmm. Thank you, Doc. Colonel, if I never see you with your pants down again, that'll be thanks enough.